Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing topics concerning the state of interactive design education at institutions of higher learning. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Michael Ellsworth. Michael is co-founder and principal of Civilization, a creative agency based in Seattle that believes in design as social change. Michael has built over a decade of breakthrough work for a diverse group of clients, ranging from Sub Pop Records, uh, Chef Michael Hebb, the Fry Art Museum, the U.S. Department of Energy, the Seattle Public Library, and the World Economic Forum. He has also used his skills as a public programmer to facilitate discussions. His recent design lecture series brought the voices of iconic designers like Stefan Sagmeister, David Carson, and Ken Garland to a collective conversation on the way design impacts us all. For all the complex ways one can push boundaries, Michael has always kept it very simple. Find the creative idea at the core of the story, question or experience, and then let it lead you to the next one. Michael continues to stay on the path of ideas that matter in this unique moment and the next. Welcome, Michael. Hello, Gary. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I'm excited about our talk today for a couple of different reasons. But before I get started down that line of questioning, um, I want to know a little bit more about why civilization categorize um, on their website web print and identity like why the distinction um that's a great question uh so we wanted to make our portfolio as neutral as possible um we wanted to make it really simple because we work with a variety of uh different partners and they might not be totally in tune with the deliverable they need, for instance. So we work with a lot of nonprofits and a lot of government organizations and a lot of museums. Um, and not to say that they're not um, educated or not uh, familiar with what they need, but we wanted to make it really clear to people that uh, when you land, it's our featured projects, but then we wanted to make it really clear that we make websites, we do identity, and we do print work. And we thought that instead of writing a bunch about that. Let's just make it really simple with the nav. All right. That, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what I was figuring that it had to do with, you know, the, the, the client expectation because they honestly don't, that's how they perceive, that's how they perceive design. Um, but uh, the reason I brought it up is because what, um, there's so many titles now out there for design. There's print design, identity design, UX, UI design, interactive design, web design, product design, um, that it's getting out of control. And I just, these, I just wish we didn't have those qualifiers anymore. I just, to me, I'm just a designer. I agree. I feel they are becoming archaic. It's, yeah. it's interactive or visual communication. Yep. It's just really how we communicate. Yeah. It's, it's, design <laughs> it's design yeah, yeah. exactly All but right. then design is in this time of it's becoming this like buzzword you know it's the first time yeah. where we have <laughs> these ceos that are like oh we need design thinking which is really exciting at but at the same time can be frustrating when you have been a designer yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's 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 one of those ones that 
you wish people had a better understanding of it, but at the same time, at least we're getting the, at least people are starting to understand the value of it, I guess. Exactly. Beyond the, okay, not understand the value of it, but seeing the value of it beyond the creation of an artifact. Exactly. That they're actually seeing it as a process for doing something that could be applied to teaching math to all the way to solving community problems. I mean, it's just, it's just a larger thing, and I'm glad that's coming to fruition. Absolutely. Um, We're working right now with uh, um, helping um, Aisha Brassell with her book tour, and it's Designing the Life You Love. And it's all about design principles to your, to your life, applying that. So you're absolutely right, from math to just how you, you know, budget your family spending in a month. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, time. it definitely is. All right, so, but the reason I, I, I really wanted to speak with you, I mean, the, re- the reason the whole idea about behind this podcast is that, you know, you know, like what should, when I've got three credits to teach everything they need to know about interactive design, <laughs> what, what, what should I be teaching? And, and so like, so, it's, so the real question is, I'm curious about your conversation with my recent guest, Zachary Smith, um, mm-hmm. Vice President of Technology is Substantial. So... When he introduced us to each other, he mentioned in the email, Michael and I get together from time to time to talk shop, and today Mm -hmm. we are talking about ways we feel formal education isn't always setting people up for success in the workforce. So I'm assuming that the two of you aren't the only people running agencies or leading out design teams to have these types of discussions. (laughs) Yeah, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during any of those conversations because as a design educator, I really have to work hard to get any kind of metrics on how the education I'm giving is actually preparing students. So could you share the details of that conversation? Basically well, give the listeners a good old-fashioned critique of the product <laughs> design <laughs> educators are sending out into the industry? Sure. And Zach and I meet for lunch quite a bit and talk about ideas and just the industry and talk shop. Um, one thing that we talk about is the, the passion and the um, learning how to learn. And I think that can be, is the best thing someone can have. That, that trait is amazing. That's what I look for when I'm adding someone to our team. It's being able to take all the tools around us, all this information we're swimming in, and being able to distill it down and use it in a practical way. To, to have that thirst for knowledge and not just regurgitate something, but really like look at it and be like, huh, critical eye, think about it. How can I apply this? How can I do this in a new way? And um, I, I always get on a high horse about history and kind of knowing where things have come from uh, when we talk about design in that larger context. Like, why these breakthrough moments have had such an impact on culture at large, why they happened, who made them happen, and how can you look at that and take that and run with it? So, from an education perspective, I really think history is such an important part of it, but not in a boring way, not in the way where it's like, here was Gutenberg's Bible, the first movable type, and then, you know, that's great. You should definitely get into that, but I think there's a really exciting way to to get into that. Um, And that kind of 
interest for me came out of music as a musician, failed musician. Uh, as a kid, I, you know, I was totally into rock and roll and just wanted to learn everything about it. You know, wanted to learn how it came about and where, where it came from and where it went, was going and where it, where it has been. And um, I apply that same kind of thinking to design and that same kind of thinking when I'm, when I'm talking with people about why they do design, why they're into it. It's like if you ask a guitar player who their favorite guitarist is, they'll probably name five. And it's really hard. Or their favorite album. But you've asked an interaction designer or a graphic designer who their favorite designer is, and it's like a deer in headlights. Like, hmm, I, I like this website. I like this blog. And, and not everyone, it's a general comment, but um, that was really an impetus for this design lecture series that we put on, is, is bringing people in and kind of making them feel like rock stars. Like, make it, make it feel like, hey, this is important, but this piece of of communication that I put out, you know, change things just like, you know, the white album changed things. So I think that that sometimes gets cut from our education programs um, because things are changing so rapidly and there's so much, so many things to learn. But I think there could be a, an interesting way to, to frame the history with the now, like, you know, for instance, April Griman, uh, uh, love her. And she, you know, first person to use Mac Paint to create a piece of artwork or a piece of communication. And, and you know, April didn't sit down to try to, like, break the rules. It just happened because she was interested in this and she was playing. She's very playful that way. And, um, you know, learning, like, looking at that from an interaction designer could be very valuable to see, hey, this is, you know, the first kind of important piece made on a computer. And even though the end result was a printed piece of material, it still used the same tools. So I think just like figuring out a context for these historic moments and how they apply today is important. Um, you know, the, the cliche saying, if you don't know history, you're bound to repeat it. And maybe it's good if we repeat some of it, but put our own take on it. Yeah. Well, you know that. Okay. I'm going to back up to that just a little bit with. Um, so you said you use the analogy that ask a guitarist their favorite, you know, guitarist and they'll name at least five. But I'm I'm curious. And, and I did look at I, I saw you did go to I, I did see somewhere in the online uh, things that I was doing research on that you did go. You did study music. Yeah. But I. I'm just, I don't think that those people that could say that they could name their five favorite guitarists, they learned that in school. I think they knew that before they went to school. <laughs> so why don't designers who before, you know, why don't they know? Why would musicians uh, or budding musicians be more cognizant of their history of the, what they want to do where designers aren't? in that early stages and students aren't they're just it's it is total deer in headlights when you ask them to name one person they, they don't even stop and realize that the i love new york logo mm -hmm. came from somewhere they 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 don't see that as a piece of design right. and why that came 
why yeah. that came into fruition. It wasn't to sell tourist T-shirts and coffee mugs. Yeah. It, you know, Milton Glaser. It was very. It was a moment where he saw a problem. He saw a problem in New York that people were disenchant, disenfranchised with it. It was becoming a place that people, you know, had a love-hate relationship with. Um, <clears throat> so to step back <laughs> to what you're saying, um, I agree. And I think it's a cultural issue. I think that if you ask most people uh, where I Heart New York came from or who made that, it would probably say a machine. You know, mm -hmm. they don't really think that it was a human. Um, uh, so there's one that design isn't in the cultural fabric as much as music is. You know, we okay. have the rock star, you know, so it's easier, it's, it's more accessible. Although with the way information is available now, that's kind of a half-assed excuse because yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can look that up if you're interested. Um, also, though, to say, I bring, you brought up music school. When I was studying music, I did learn a lot about musicians that I didn't know about. And they weren't yeah. necessarily pop musicians, but they were, you know, jazz musicians and um, composers that I, I didn't know about, you know, pre-music school. Um, one of my favorites, Steve Reich, like, he, you know, I, I didn't have access to that. I didn't grow up. Well, I grew up with the internet, but it was very late teens, so I had to find a lot of stuff on, you know, through friends and the the old ways. My pre-internet brain yeah. operated very differently. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a great question. But I think that even just in class, yeah. for instance, like an inspiration session, like, hey, where does this inspiration come from? Where do these ideas come from? Because ideas aren't built in a vacuum, you know, they're, they're the collision of ideas, they're the rub, they're bouncing things off of each other, they're, they're finding ways to see something and add to it or change it or mutate it. Um, so those, those inspirations and those ideas can come from anywhere, they don't need to be inside the design world per se, but that's a good place to start. Yeah, no, I mean, that, and that's when I do, I used to, uh, where I used to previously teach before I came to UMBC, I used to teach the history of design. And that was my faith. The way I, I taught it was cause and effect. Nice. So, and we kind of start, you know, at the Gutenberg Bible that, so what caught, that was the cause. I mean, so what was the effect of it? And then um. you keep like building that up and you talk about the Marshall Plan and, you know, in World War II, what was that? What what affected that cause? What external what did that influence have on design? And you can just like see that design is not just like done in a bubble. <laughs> it's it's a reaction to cultural things, and in response, it also causes cultural phenomenon that then you know cycle itself back and forth. Um, so well, yeah, I love that. Very parallel with art, right? It's it's taking these cultural things that are happening. And it's trying to provide solutions to the problems or trying to, you know, visually communicate and articulate these, these ideas. Whereas art creates more questions. But it's, you need to kind of, you need to have that historical significance or, it, or a cause and effect, as you say. Like, yeah. there, there needs to be a reason, not just to, just to pull it out of the air. I mean, that's okay if it's a practice or an expression, but if you really want to, use design in its fullest. It really needs to have something to rub up against. Um, you know, I, 
I'm going to jump into like a question that I, I was going to ask in a little bit, but you kind of like segued into it a little bit. So I was recently listening to your uh, conversation with Jennifer Snyder on the Create Your Own Path podcast. <laughs> and something you mentioned really stuck out. You said that you initially went to school for graphic design, but quickly changed majors because of not liking the foundations program because it was like art based. Can mm -hmm. you expand on that? If I like misspoke about that? No, no. Um, yeah, it was in, in high school. Um, you know, as, as I got into art through skateboarding and music and I became the president of the art club in my, my school of 500 people. And I was really into, um, you know, being expressive. I was a very frustrated, angsty teen. And I kind of like figured out Photoshop. I think it was Photoshop 2 or I don't even know what it was back <laughs> early days. And I really, I really loved it. I really loved the, like, the communication aspect of it. I loved to be able to express ideas. I loved to be able to um, uh, kind of create controversy with posters and things, um, designing for the bands I was in. And then I went to art school, and I was like, this is what I want to be. I want to, I want to be a graphic designer. And uh, there was all of this um, figure drawing for the first year, which I totally understand to know the, the nature of the body and form and you know, proportion. But it lost all of the reasons that I personally love design. It lost communication. It wasn't about communicating. It was about, you know... The, the human form and then it was and then there was when we did have a graphic design class it was about you know color and I'm colorblind so that really threw me off really <laughs> quickly um, and then which you need color yeah. for sure uh, but we didn't we didn't really get into even technical things it was really the space structure of learning about how to draw and I personally don't draw at all at my job I sketch I you know Pictionary style to visually communicate ideas, but then it goes into the computer That's the tool that I'm comfortable with so it just turned me off and then I went into music and, and kind of the same thing and I, I realized that like I'm a learner that needs to be excited by things so I, I've learned to learn and I've learned to teach myself, and, and that's pretty much uh, what I am excited about with getting into education now. I'm, I'm teaching some classes and doing some workshops, and mm -hmm. um, we're doing a community uh, outreach program with uh, an after-school program. It's a five-week program to teach uh, high schoolers how to create uh, graphic design for a, a cause that they, they see in their community. And to me, it's about getting them excited about uh, the process and to actually make something. When I was learning how to play guitar, I didn't take music lessons. I didn't learn notes. I just jumped in and learned how to play my favorite songs. A friend down the street taught me how to play a Smashing Pumpkin song, and that was it for me. It was like, ah, I can, I can do this. And I, I think there's something about that, like to get that spark and get, to get people thirsty. Um, I only want to work with people on my team that are doing it because they don't want to do anything else. They wake up and they think design and they, 
you know, are looking at, you know, researching and, and looking how to improve themselves all the time. They're not doing it for a paycheck. They're not doing it for, you know, fame. They're doing it because they love to do it and they can't do it and they would be doing it no matter what. And I think if you can get that when you're in school, it's, that's invaluable, like, to get that spark. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I asked that question because with foundations, yes, you're learning life drawing, you're learning still drawing, you're learning two-dimensional fundamentals of design. But the problem is, and this is a generalization, but most of the time that stuff is taught from the perspective of an artist, yes. not from the perspective of a designer. So, so if you, I mean, yes, there are some, there's definitely some similarities in skills. I mean, in visual, but that's it. It stops there. To me, it stops at visual as the similarities. After that, I mean, the philosophies, the thinking, how you, there, there is something to be like, there is a persona of a designer. There is a way they think that is completely different than an artist. And I think having this universal foundations is causing a huge problem as design evolves and becomes and, and grows and so maybe you know 15 years ago the differences weren't that big but now you throw in the iphone so now you throw in this idea of like designing for different devices so it's not just one screen um and then you throw in the ability with you know media queries and everything you can do with h with css and html i mean css3 and html5 it's just open the gamut and I, I, I just, so that's why I asked. And also too, so about that excitement, you walk in, you didn't get excited because you're not being a designer. You're not, you know, doing what you think are designerly things. And I, I, I just, and I think, so maybe that's why they didn't, you know, start to think about who April Griman is, um, who, um, are the people that like, you know, really like first started pushing web, who are the people who started doing all these different things? Cause you know they're they're learning about Basquiat, um, yeah. and oh, I wish that would have yeah. been exciting. <laughs> yeah. True, true. I mean, so yeah. let's even like back it up. They're learning about you know cathedrals, exactly, which is um, great, but it doesn't you know, translate. Yeah, I think, but I also think it's kind of backwards because now I'd love to learn about that, but I yeah. love to learn about that because now I've got the I've got the hunger, but before that I didn't. So it's it's almost oh go up like maybe it's like learning how to your palate for instance like you don't the best wine in the world is not going to taste great to you if it's the first glass of wine you have you know yeah. you kind of got to get into it and then you're like oh yeah now i understand it so i think there's almost kind of a backwardsness to it thinking about teaching high schoolers it's like gotta think about things they like you know like gotta think about oh video games sports like look at that your favorite sports logo let's dissect that even though i'm not a sports guy at all like let's you know, let's connect with people on things that they're already into and get them excited about things versus just like, here's the structure, step one, step two, you know? And I think that our culture is changing that way. We pick and choose what we want to learn about, you know? Our our social media feeds are, are filtered by our friends and the people that we surround ourselves to. It's really easy to unfollow or hide someone if you don't, if you're bored by them. It's like we, we're becoming... Uh, hypercritical on the information that we consume because there's so much of it. Yeah. So, like, 
let's start with something that's going to connect and resonate with people, yes. kind of activate them. Yeah. You know, and, and another thing that you just, you mentioned, you said like one sentence and also in that, that same podcast, you mentioned it in one sentence that you, you look for somebody that learning how to learn. Um, so can you, can you explain like, what does that look like to you first before I follow up? Sure. So we always push ourselves. We always take on projects that we have no idea how to do. Like, this morning's example of this, we, we have all this audio gear for this podcast that we're starting, and we had an engineer help us with uh, our first podcast recording it. I had all the gear in our studio, and you were like, oh, do you have a microphone? And so I grabbed all the gear at 8.30 this morning, had no idea how to set this up, and just figured it out. I went online, I read the manual really quickly, put it all together. It was a little, you know, a little stressful, a little sweating, figuring it out, but figured it out. That's, that's how I do it. I watch our web developer, Sean Cardo, who's incredible. He taught himself how to make websites, and he's continuously pushing himself. We'll be like, hey, Sean, we want to figure out a way to use CSS and JavaScript, HTML5, whatever, to, to like have things rain down the page. He goes, on, he goes in forums. He goes on mm-hmm. you know, many, many different channels and figures it out. He takes it, and then we put our own flavor to it. It's building on this network of things that are already out there. I've had people in this, over the years, interns and things, that they, they'll hit a wall. And it's okay. Like you have to learn to learn. It's not. It's not an eight. But you know, like they'll hit a wall and just be like, "Well, I, I don't know. There's not something out there that I can just instantly take." It's it's finding a piece of that that's out there and then running with it. It's so my metaphor about setting up the audio equipment isn't quite accurate. That's just the first step. Is not having the fear, getting yeah. over the fear, like. The fear to fail. It's not even about like it's okay if I fail. It's just don't even think about that. Like just go. Like and then, then taking things that are out there and being able to create new things from them and being able to learn about those things. And uh, it's not easy, but I think a lot of it is just in your head. Like a lot of it is like, oh, I didn't learn how to do this, so I, I, I don't know. Like you just kind of hit a wall, and that wall is, is just mental. Um, so where does that, wh- where does that come from? Because I'm, I'm think I'm going to just throw out some, when I look at my class, mm-hmm. when I look at any class, any given semester out of, I may have maybe 10, five to 10% that will just take it and run with it. And super excited to learn on their own they're I'll learn on their own they're they're bringing things back to me like asking me questions about like you know hey did you see this did you see that but that's that's five to ten percent so what about that other 90 to 95 percent why don't they why don't they have that and if they don't what are some strategies that you've used to help people like get into that self-learning mode well Two things. One, I think there is people that are just naturally risk takers. Yeah. So that's probably a lot easier for them. And then the other percent that's not, I think there's a big 
opportunity for them to learn how to where do you state that? I think that those other that other percentile potentially don't feel comfortable yeah. taking that risk. They they're afraid and they're they're kind of buttoned up. And I think there's one way that I approach things like that is to disarm people. Mm-hmm. To like let them feel comfortable. Let them it's it's a safe place. It's okay to fail. It's okay to experiment. That's how we're gonna get to the to a better solution. And with design it's it's sometimes hard because you wanna like, oh, I gotta solve this problem, I gotta solve this problem um, you know, the best way I can. And you start thinking like best and gotta do this, and it's a lot of pressure. But if you can somehow unpack that and you can somehow get into a place where it's okay to play. So one trick is, hey, write down 25 ideas in the next hour. And it's okay. They could be totally shitty ideas. That's fine. But one of those shitty ideas might mutate into a great idea. Or someone might, in your group might see that shitty idea and run with it and go somewhere else with it. Or you see one of those ideas and you like start to be like, ooh, that's great. And it leads to another idea. So I think it's just kind of setting up this mindset that it's okay to play and it's okay to experiment. Um, I find development really interesting. I'm not a developer, but it's uh, you write a line of code and you test it. And if it doesn't work, you rewrite the code. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just this constant like hit the wall, hit the wall, hit the wall. When we get back to that kind of art mentality that we're talking about, that's not as acceptable. It's like you've, you, you don't just like do a sketch and throw it away. You know, that's kind of not what we're, the line of thinking. But it should be. It should be like, hey, that idea, eh, it's okay. Give me another idea. Okay. Because once you pass through like the first three or four ideas and you start to get to like the 20th idea and the 40th idea, shit gets painful. It's hard to find those ideas. Mm-hmm. But that's when the stuff really starts to, to come together. And I think it's just a way of thinking and accepting that that's okay to do. And once you start, I think, down that path of pushing yourself, then you start to be more open to getting inspiration in other places and maybe like figuring out how to, how to learn from that. Well, you know, that, well, let me ask, let me follow up with this then. Um, when I teach the students HTML and CSS, um, they are, they're afraid to experiment. They just will not experiment. I mean, no matter how, like I said, hey, this, you know, as long as it shows up on the screen at some <laughs> point, it doesn't matter if it's semantic. It doesn't matter if it's like efficient, um, you know, just get it you know, just get something so you can show progress. And no matter what I try, they're, they're afraid to experiment. And I think a part of it comes from like, they're evaluated on it. And so they're, you know, so they feel like they have to have it perfect. Even when, when I, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't even grade on like what it looks like now. I grade on simply like effort. Did I see that you tried something new and they still won't do it. It's yeah. and, and so I think that's tough. And that's the one where when it comes to interactive design versus print design, they're they're willing to experiment in print design. Mm-hmm. 
but they're not an interactive and i can't for the life of me understand why because uh, it's they're both new to them it's not like you know photoshop is new is is it because it's html css looking at code is that what makes it scary for them i don't know it's just something that i've observed and i've really had a lot of trouble with yeah that's a that's a really great observation i wonder too just just a hunch is if it's kind of the left brain right brain because when you're in the print world you can kind of play and you can kind of be i'm being creative now mm -hmm. but when you're in code it's like i'm being you know analytical and critical so i wonder if there's something there that it's just kind of there's ways to do exercises in code that are let them like make them experiment in a way yeah <laughs> you know it's like let's let's take away that like this has to be perfect and we have to be like looking at every bit of code and every single character has to be perfect like, yeah let's let's just like let loose and play a little bit like um and this comes up in our studio a lot we're always talking about this it's like there's something with the web that just it sticks it flows in these like i don't even think trends is the right word but it's like large photo boxes underneath it's like these these interfaces become like standards really quickly mm -hmm. and i think it's it's a lot to do with functionality right like yeah. you don't want to break the rules so far that people you're confusing people the user's always right kind of mentality like oh we don't want to throw some curveball but i hope to see that change mm -hmm. um because i don't think that there's really good reasons for that i think that it's early days on the, on the web. And it's scary to, to take risks, but we need to. I can't tell you how many times a client will say, oh, we need an arrow so people know to scroll. I know that's the bane of a lot of interface designers. But it's just like, we don't. People know. People know. <laughs> and I think there's something to that that's dense and and makes you kind of close up when you're when you're making a website potentially. Yeah. well you know and i think I, i'm glad you mentioned that like okay so the client thinks that it needs you need an arrow for it to scroll and i i think that comes with the fact that okay the web is what 20 years old but in really its current iteration where you can design where where you now are designing for multi-device and you have media queries that can, you know, detect those multiple devices. That's five years old. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's it. You've you've got five years of. Um, so that's why it's like not even a trend because it takes more than that yeah. to be a trend. Uh, um, but no, anyway. So what I was getting back to is that in print, we know to turn the page. Mm -hmm. In. Or we know to look at the poster from a certain, I mean, the contexts, and, and I think that, I mean, how off are designers that are just coming out of school on that idea of, you know, like designing for the fact that we want to encourage scrolling without beating them over the head with an arrow? How do we encourage, you know, interaction when there isn't that type of interaction in print? I mean, have you seen a real deficiency in, in that? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great observation as well. 
so yeah, there is conventions in print. We all know how to use it because it's it's been around for longer than you know <laughs> our parents and our grandparents. It's it's part of our our makeup these days, or has been. With the web, you're right. It's new, and it has to work in so many different ways and so many different browsers and so many different sizes. It has to be so scalable. So it's like there's so many rules, but it's the next generation that's going to take that and break all those rules. Yeah. You know, I'm my, I have a 10 month old son. No, he's 11 months today. An 11 month old son. Happy anniversary. Oh, thanks. Uh, and, and, uh, freaks me out. Yeah. And the kid just goes for my cell phone. We don't let him have the screen time. You know, mm -hmm. Good parents or, or bad, depending. <laughs> um, we don't, we don't let him, sit in front of screens, but he just grabs our phones. He's like, what is this magical rectangle these people are always looking at? And he's going to grow up. This is going to be like print to him. He's going to know to scroll down the page. He's going to know to click. He's going to know to tap. He's going to know to pinch zoom. And that's where I think it's going to be exciting when these things start to become just second nature. And that's what I always get excited with students and, and college age people when they're making websites because like you you have such an advantage over I myself like you grew up around this this is this is second nature to you but then I think there's all these rules that get and structure and foundation that kind of maybe beats it out of them a little bit yeah they get they get scared when they could just play. And, and, and be free and express themselves on the internet. Mm -hmm. And they do express themselves on the internet with social media in many ways, but with interfaces. And there's definitely people doing it. Um, this might be a tangent, but I always think of the, the web a little bit as, as like video games. So, like, you know, we had Atari and Pong, and it was like, okay, we do this, and now we know you do this, and you do that. And then it grows, and now we have centipede and pac-man like oh okay we can do more things and then you know nintendo comes and i'm not a, a video game historian but maybe that was five years in maybe, mm -hmm. i don't know probably probably more yeah not uh, big yeah big video but, game person either but you know there's now we're starting to do way more stuff we're starting to jump around we're starting to shoot you know like up and down where we have codes now video games are out of control i wonder if the internet is going to our interface design is somewhat that way. It's like we kind of have to learn and then we can go crazy with it. Yeah. And I think there are some sites that are doing that uh, and they're way ahead of the curve. And they would scare clients that are trying to sell something or communicate a message or, you know, but I think it's fun. And I think encour encouraging kids to, you know, to make a, a crazy interface is, is exciting. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, I just realized what, where we're at in time. We're starting to okay. run along. But let me ask you one I, one question that led from that before I, I, I wrap up is, okay, and I agree. Do we When I teach HTML and CSS, when I teach web design, I don't do it for them. I don't encourage them to – I teach them structure. I teach them how to do it, but I don't just, like, let them off, run, and play Yeah. because – I want them to have something to show in their portfolio. So as somebody who's hiring, 
you know, a designer, would you, what would you rather see in their portfolio, a series of exercises where they're really exploring what they could do on a screen with, you know, with different technologies, or would you rather see something finished? It's a great question. So let me preface this by we're a pretty weird studio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we only work with certain kinds of projects. So we're, mm -hmm. so this is probably not advice for everyone. Uh, yes, I would definitely prefer to see some out there stuff that's like, wow, this person is just next level. They're just trying to push and trying to, to do something that's new and fresh. Because I can't tell you how many times I see pretty much the same portfolio. <laughs> it's just just heartbreaking to me. Like, oh, really? Another one? And it just looks exactly the same as the last one. It's just a different client name on the, or fake client name or a different project. It's just... <laughs> It just drives me nuts. Like, I want to see something that is fresh. And even if it fails, not fails like it's just terrible, but even if it's not <clears throat> this polished, amazing masterpiece, but it's just like, wow, look at that. Like, instead of a hamburger, they used a triangle. Great. That's at least something, <laughs> something you know, instead of, instead of a big photo that scrolls down to a three boxes underneath it it's like <laughs> I, I don't know it's instead of, it's asymmetry asymmetry right now is like a breath of fresh air when I see something <laughs> asymmetrical you know oh wow they they just made a website with type <laughs> great like wow this website looks like it was done in 1992 but it's intentional great like um, you know just something that breaks through the noise yeah, and in it's it's funny. Um, so I'm teaching them how to do HTML, CSS, and how to do layouts. And I'm like intentionally sitting there saying, "Here's the hero image. Here's three boxes underneath it." And I'm totally doing it tongue in cheek. Yeah, good. they don't. They don't. <laughs> but they don't get it. They don't see the irony that it's in the sameness. That I'm like, we can. T I I basically said, here's four. We did four layouts. I taught them how to use floats, how to use potential loot, and all that said, You can make any website that's currently existing by just reusing this code that I taught you. Right. But, they, but they don't get it. They, it's just, they just don't see those repeating patterns yet. And I, it's just kind of funny. And I don't, I'm just kind of shocked that they don't see that. Well, it's hard to find examples of that, too. Like, every Wednesday, we have an inspiration meeting. It's like our goal is to bring something fresh to show, like a fresh website. And seriously, it's hard. it's hard to find. So I think maybe even showing some examples could be good because there's not a ton out there. Yeah, no, there's not yet. And I, and I again, I, I bring that back. It's design education that we're not teaching to push the envelope in, the, in what you can do. We're just teaching them how to do it. And hopefully that'll slowly evolve as, you know, as the media medium transforms and, and evolves as well. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so before I let you go, is there anything that... Ooh, bless you. Sorry. Yeah, nope, no worries. So before I let you go, is there anything you are working on um, that you would like to share or something you want to promote? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so our studio does a lot of public programming, and it's all labor of love, and we figure out how to self-fund um, 
with uh, partially from client projects, but sponsorships and partners and crowdfunding. And one thing that we're doing is, you mentioned earlier, is we do a design lecture series every year. Mm -hmm. And we're kicking off our next, our 2015-2016 series. Um, all the lectures are free. They're at the Seattle Public Library, if you're in Seattle. And uh, this year we have uh, legendary um, icon designer Lance Wyman, who did the 86 Mexico Olympics, most noted. Uh, Paula Scher is incredible. Um, and she's going to be uh, with guest April Griman. Nice. Um, then Experimental Jet Set from Amsterdam, mm -hmm. uh, wonderful team, and then the legendary Carol Martins, who started WorkPlatz Type School. So these are all free events, and they're, uh, the tickets sell out. Lance Wyman sold out in two minutes yesterday, which was really fun. Uh, so yeah, we're getting, we're getting ready for that. And then we also, uh, as I mentioned to you before, we started our podcast series called Beyond This Point, and um, we do them at different live locations around Seattle, and we bring uh, creative thinkers in different disciplines to have a conversation about design and, and creativity. And uh, that'll be out in a month or two. Where um, where will we be able to find that? What, is there a URL? We'll be able to find it through the Civilization website? Uh, it's beyondthispoint.design. Okay. And there's a splash page now. And then our design lecture series is design lectures. Uh, and the lectures is .es. And we'll put that because uh, each episode goes, we put session notes up and we transcribe them. So I'll, I'll make sure that everybody can find that information and, and find that when they're in Seattle. Cool. For the local awesome. stuff. Yeah. And then uh, please come out. We'll, uh, we'd love to have people visiting. <laughs> yeah. And no, I love Seattle. My sister lives in Portland. So every time I come up, I head up to Seattle too. Great. All right, but that that this, the the listeners don't want to hear any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. All right, so is there any final advice that you have for design educators that we didn't cover that you like to mention before I let you go? Sure. Inspiration. Yeah. Is, I think, fundamental to education getting people turned on and then they tune in and want to learn more. I would, my favorite teachers were the ones that just, when I left the class, I felt energized mm -hmm. and excited and wanted to go do my homework and wanted to go learn more. Yeah, no, that's, we're part cheerleader. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And if you're not, that's a problem because we need to be part cheerleader. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have time for today on episode 12 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Michael Ellsworth of Civilization, for being so generous with his time. I want to thank the audience for listening. And I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. Finally, I want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you want to discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit us on the web at designedu.today. You can follow us on Twitter at designedu today, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes store. Thank you for listening to Design EDU Today. 